Hello and welcome to episode two of the Victorian Aboriginal News Referendum 23 Tapes podcast. I'm your host, Charles Parkiner. As I mentioned at the end of our first podcast, during this episode we start our journey towards a greater understanding of the Australian Constitution, that one powerful document the Federal Government and 250 First Nations delegates to the Uluru Dialogues are hoping to see amended to include an enshrined First Nations voice to Parliament. Victorian Aboriginal News acknowledges and pays respect to traditional owners and custodians across Australia. We acknowledge the elders who have gone before, those who currently lead their communities and those who will follow in years and generations to come. Joining me today on the Referendum 23 Tapes podcast is Professor Cheryl Saunders from Melbourne Law School. She is President Emeritus of the International Association of Constitutional Law and for over 30 years has been committed to encouraging public understanding of the Australian Constitution. She joins us now for the first of several discussions we'll be having over the months in the lead up to the referendum. And Professor, thank you so much indeed for talking with me today. It's a real pleasure. Professor, let's get right into it. And can we start off with a basic understanding and keeping it at its fairly simple level of the actual purpose of the Australian Constitution? The Australian Constitution is our most important law. It's the one that tells you what other things governments can do. It sets up the system of government. It establishes the Commonwealth Parliament and government and court system. Mm. And it divides power between the Commonwealth and the states. So, in other words, it tells you what can be done at the national level of government and what can be done at the state level of government and how. Now, it seems also that it's not necessarily a document that's fastidiously kept up to date. I mean, looking at the 2020 Constitution, it still states there that the Governor-General shall be, or the the Queen, shall be paid by the Federal Government £10,000 to be Mm -hmm. used for payment of the Governor-General. So it's not necessarily fully up to date, or is it just not easily kept up to date at that level? Look, there's a couple of answers to that, Giles. Of course, uh, uh, the Constitution's now very old, came into effect in 1901, and our relationship with the British monarch was very different in those days. Mm. Uh, And you're right, it hasn't been changed, and that's partly because the Constitution's not easy to change. But the other answer to your question is to say this, that Constitution's generally are written in pretty general terms. They're expected to last over a long period of time. So the section you referred to, of course, sounds very dated and is very dated. But there are other sections, Section 1, for example, that says there'll be a parliament that exercises lawmaking power. That's the sort of section that can go on for centuries and it will still be accurate. Well, I think one of the obvious questions is why can't it be easily changed? Why is it such an important document that the government in power at the time may say, well, we don't approve of a certain area, we're just going to change it via ordinary legislation without going to the states and the people? Why isn't it that simple? Well, because constitutions are our most important law, you want them to last beyond the life of a current government. And constitutions tell governments what they can do. 
if a government wants to get around the constitution, um, you don't want it to be able to amend it too easily. And we have a very interesting and I think very principled system that you have to ask the people when you amend the most important law in Australia. It's very unusual. Most of our government decisions are not made that way. But it just is a sign of the significance of the Constitution. Uh, and it means that once we agree to amend the Constitution, uh, the change has all that much more legitimacy. How secure is the Constitution itself, though? Because I'm sure a number of people, depending on how old they are and how well they keep up with current affairs, may well have heard instances in the news where a, a government, not in Australia, has suspended its Constitution in order to achieve political or social goals. So can that be done here in Australia? What would be required? Look, there's a sense in which that can be done anywhere. I mean, it's a revolution. So anybody can have a revolution. Australia tends not to. We're a very stable society. Um, we are a society that's prided ourselves on complying with law, in other words, on the rule of law, for better or sometimes for worse. And really, although people's circumstances clearly are very different, this is a fairly prosperous society, a long way from the rest of the world. So there's not the same sort of impetus for that sort of revolutionary move that you might find in other more troubled places. There tends to be a fair bit of confusion within community, thank you to American television, of course, between our <laughs> constitution and that of the United States, and in particular the US Bill of Rights, which consists, as we know, of those first ten amendments to the US Constitution. So mm -hmm. do we in Australia have anything akin to those sorts of amendments and a subsequent Bill of Rights? Well, we certainly don't have a Bill of Rights in the National Constitution. When we made our Constitution in the 1890s, we took some ideas from the United States some from England and some from other countries elsewhere in the world. And we didn't take the Bill of Rights from the United States. We tended to follow the British approach to protecting rights, uh, and that was to rely on courts and the Parliament, courts applying the common law and parliaments showing self-restraint and a degree of wisdom. Of course, there's been a big debate in Australia since then about whether we were right to do this, whether we should have a Bill of Rights. And I think that debate will continue. But in the intermediate uh, term, what we have seen, rights being protected through legislation. So, for example, the Racial Discrimination Act uh, is an act of the Commonwealth Parliament protecting those sorts of rights. And at the state and territory level, We've seen rights being protected in a general way. The Victoria, in Victoria, for example, there's the Victorian Charter of Rights and Responsibilities. So we have a different approach to protecting rights, but that doesn't mean that rights aren't important and it doesn't mean that they don't have a degree of protection. Well, knowing our rights can only come about by being informed. So you've been involved, as I mentioned at the top of the interview, for about 30 or more than 30 years on encouraging public understanding and education on the Constitution. How bad is it? How little do people know about the Constitution? Look, I think people know different amounts about the Constitution. I mean, we're, we're fond of saying that people don't understand the Constitution, and to some extent, of course, that's true. But every now and again, we have a debate. I mean, during, during COVID, for example, there was a big debate about who had responsibility for health and who had responsibility for the economy in the circumstances where 
the effectiveness of government really mattered. And I was really impressed at the way in which, you know, a lot of Australians engaged with each other, often very respectfully, on those questions. It's nothing to be ashamed of if people don't have a deep understanding of these matters. People have got other things to do with their lives. But when a referendum comes along, it is important that we understand and anything those of us who do know a bit about it can do to help, we'd be very happy to do it. And we're certainly going to be talking in subsequent discussions about what it takes to change the legislation and why certain, or change the constitution, I should say, and yeah. why certain legislations can't be released prior to the referendum. We'll definitely go into that because it becomes a bit of a quagmire. But if we go back uh, a couple of decades to the referendum we had about becoming a republic, now, mm -hmm. if that were to happen, would we then be looking at, let's do an entirely new constitution? I suspect the answer to that is no. Doing an entirely new constitution is a very big deal. I mean, we can look at examples of countries around the world that are really doing that at the moment, but really finding it as a huge public exercise that can potentially be divisive. I mean, this, this debate is going on in Chile at the moment, for example. So I think uh, if, we, if and when we go down the path of looking at a republic again, we will need to decide what to put in place of the Queen and the Governor-General and what other changes to make. But I suspect that we'll use the base constitution as the continuing constitution and just make whatever particular changes need, need to be made uh, to bring a republic around, about. Now, that does, though, need to once again then go to a referendum, doesn't it? Absolutely. And it would be a more complicated question for people than the question that's likely to be asked uh, with a voice referendum, which will be a fairly straightforward change to the Constitution. Now, just to give people an idea and maybe a bit of a teaser for a future interview that we'll be having or discussion we'll be having, there have been quite a number of referenda over the years since Federation. Mm -hmm. How many have we had and how many have actually resulted in a change to the Constitution? Well, we've had 40-odd actual referendums, eight of which have resulted in actual change to the Constitution. So what's it, barely 20%, yeah. Yeah, some of those changes were more complicated than others. Some of them were more significant than others. And some of the proposals that have been rejected probably are no great loss. <laughs> um, so again, there's a debate to be had on every occasion about whether people are happy with it or not. And we're seeing, obviously, a great deal of division within communities and the country itself about this current referendum that's coming up later in the year. Is that fairly typical of a referendum, that we see this division and this, this vehemence? Well, it's inevitable that in a country like ours, people will have different views. I think it's going to be interesting to see how great the divisions actually are. I noticed, for example, today that some of the ethnic um, community bodies have come out and said, well, we're not opposed to it. We're in favour of the voice. Yes, I believe the president um, of the FECC has come out stating yeah, that yeah. they are firmly behind that. Yeah, which I think is interesting. So the temptation when a referendum is coming forward is to make it a party political issue. And that happens because the initial um, proposal to change the constitution has to pass through the Commonwealth Parliament. And if the parties, for what, whatever reasons, 
a divide on that question, then it automatically looks as if the community is also divided. But we just need to remember that this is a very different way of making decisions in the end. Sure, the parliament has to pass the initial referendum law, but then it comes to us and the people can do what they like with it. They don't have to divide on party lines. Ideally, they are put in a position where they can really understand the proposal and they make up their own minds. And as we all know, it doesn't matter what you say in public, it's what you actually do inside the polling booth that really matters, and that's all that's right. our own business. <laughs> that's right. Professor Saunders, thank you so much indeed. We will be chatting again in a couple of weeks and hopefully yarning about how a vote is actually made because it's not as simple as people may imagine. So thank you so much and look it's forward to our next yarn. Thanks, Charles. And I, can I just say that if people want to write in any questions or send in any questions, I'm happy to deal with you know, particular questions that people have. We will certainly take advantage of that. So you are encouraged. There is a feedback form on the Victorian Aboriginal News website and there is a link on the front page to that particular form and we will pass on all questions to the Professor. Professor, Fabulous. once again, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks. See you next time. Bye. For a full transcript of this interview, visit the Victorian Aboriginal News website at vicaboriginalnews.com.au And if you do have any questions you'd like to see dealt with on the podcast or directly by Professor Cheryl Saunders, then use our website's Referendum 23 feedback form. We're doing our very best to release two new episodes every week. And your help in providing feedback and sharing this podcast is massively appreciated. So until our next episode, stay safe and stay informed. <laughs>